intimidate us, to poison our hearts by, by making us bitter, filled with rage or fear. And you, you're watching it. Are you watching it? Are you seeing what I'm seeing? I'm watching believers come under the spirit of what's going on in our nation. And that's disturbing to me. Because when believers start acting like the world on social media and fighting and arguing and causing division in the name of their right stance, we have come under the spirit of what's happening in our world. And we are no different. We're just doing it in the name of Jesus or the name of conservative whatever. And I, I'm not like here to get political by any means. That's really not who I am. If you don't know me, that is like zero me. But see, there's something happening. And if we're not aware, if we're not allowing God to continually keep our spirits awake, then it's really easy to just either be sedated by everything and move into paralysis or to just start becoming bitter and being filled with rage and fear and engaging and acting and reacting just like the people of the world. Or we just pull away and we just isolate and we stop connecting with Jesus and we start changing our theology to match our current circumstances and say, we don't remember who God is, or maybe he's not as good as I thought. And we forget our purpose. But it's so crucial for us as the church to steer away from this. And first Peter kind of gives us a good look at how to do that. But I want to tell you a story. I was reminded last night when I was on my run uh, that the morning after John's mother passed away, uh, we were in Colorado with everybody. So we were like staying in a house with his brother, his sister-in-law, their three children, my father-in-law and us two and Evan. And so it was like a whole house of a lot of feelings, if you know what I mean. And the day after she passed away, there was such grief and such disappointment because, uh, I really, I really thought the Lord was going to heal her. And so because you can't process very much in a house that has like, you know, 27 other people living in it. That's what it feels like when you're all grieving together. Like eight becomes 27. Um, I was like, I'm running, like I'm, I'm out of here, put on my music. And I was like, I, I will just wear the tread off these tennis shoes today. I will run until my legs can't go any further. That's how, that's kind of how I process, uh, emotionally. And I ran until I couldn't run anymore. And I stopped that we were in Colorado, so it's beautiful. Um, and I stopped and I sat on this rock in the middle of these trees and I will never forget what happened to me in that moment. I could literally sense the hands of Jesus on my face. And it was as if he was, I mean, I'm just like, number one, the elevation there, you know, number two, I'm not even that great of a runner. So I'm like, (gasps) you know, like, and I'm ugly crying. I'm a hot mess and I'm sitting on that rock and I will never forget the encounter that I had with Jesus the morning after that happened. It was like he was this close and he took my hands or took my face in his hands and said, I am for you. And it, it did something in me 
Because in the middle of the tragedy, in the middle of three weeks away from all my people watching cancer eat away at a body that I loved and finally win, I was starting to get a little bit confused and forgetting who I was and who God was. And in that morning on my run, it was exactly what I needed to hear of, I am for you. And it reestablished God in my life and in my heart. Not that I had left him. We'd been like, all we could do was hang on to him. You know what I mean? But it's just that reminder of, you're a good God. You're still here. You're still for me. Even though today it feels like you're against me. You know? Today I was thinking on my run, why can't we just have a win? Because this was in 2010 and there wasn't many wins that year for me. It was just kind of like a whole year of loss. And so by October on that run, that's kind of what I was feeling. Could you just do something for me instead of against me? And I needed the sweet encounter with Jesus to remind me. I am for you. And we have to have those moments. We have to pull ourselves back in, in the middle of chaos. And we're going to move into first Peter two. And it's, it's so great because he just gives us a great little layout of how we can deal with ourselves in the middle of this. So we're just going to go through first Peter two, one through 10, but you're going to find these three things that he's going to tell you to do. Clear your heart, get into the word of God and keep coming to him and remember who you are. It's these three things. And I think that that's important to note in a book that was written to believers who were undergoing a lot of suffering And so if you are in the house this morning and you feel like you're undergoing a lot of suffering, then this might be a good thing to look at for you. Something that you need to be doing in this time and pressing into clearing your heart, getting into the word to keep coming and remember who you are. So let's read it because it's so good. We're just going to jump right in. I'm reading out of the Passion Translation, which should be up here because it's my favorite and it makes the word come alive in kind of some different ways. So if you're really familiar, changing translations is sometimes helpful because it makes the word fresh again. So, okay. If a chapter starts with so, you should probably look at what it said right before that. Uh, Because this was actually a letter. It wasn't like... First Peter, it wasn't like Peter said, here is my first letter. Here is chapter one of the letter. Here is chapter two of the letter. Here's chapter three. Those have all been inserted. So there's breaks there. So if we start chapter two and it says, so then what is he talking about? Well, right there at the end of first Peter one, he's talking about, uh, loving one another. And he's talking about salvation. You've been born again and the seed That he has planted in you will never be destroyed, but will live and grow inside of you forever. And he's talking about the good news of Jesus being restored, being, uh, you know, coming to salvation. So abandon every form of evil, deceit, hypocrisy, 
feelings of jealousy and slander. In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished and strong for life. Especially now that you have had a taste of the goodness of the Lord Jehovah and have experienced his kindness. Now I want to pause right there for a second. So that this first section is just all about uh, getting rid of stuff out of your heart. What does it say? Every form of evil, deceit, hypocrisy, feelings of jealousy and slander. It's especially easy in our suffering to fall into these places. Because our hearts are tender, right? There's a lot of feelings. And when we follow our feelings, a lot of times we land in places like this. We begin to look at other people's lives and wonder why it's going better for them than it is for me. How come they're getting the better deal all the time, right? Uh, and, and so the notes here actually on the passion translation for that word hypocrisy, it can be translated as a hypocritical attitude of pulling things apart for judgmental analysis. How many of us have done that before? You know, where you start being really critical and you pull things apart just to analyze them and be so judgmental about it. Now, this is what's funny. The Aramaic can be translated as wearing a face mask. Like, that's hilarious right there. Okay, now it's not talking about our face masks that we're so accustomed to now these days. It would be more like a theatrical face mask, but uh, just the, the fact that the note said it's like wearing a face mask, I was like, that is awesome. Uh, because sometimes when we start suffering, we feel the need to pretend like we're not. And a mask allows you to put on a certain portrayal, but hide what's really going on. I have a funny story. Sometimes you, you take your spouse to the store and there's all kinds of interesting things that happen. And so I just felt the need to share one of these because John is always telling interesting stories about me to you. So here's one about him. So I think, I think we were probably in Lowe's. We're working on a few things at the house and I'm walking with him, right? So of course we have our face masks on, which is our new custom these days when we're out in public, we have our face masks on and we're walking (laughs) John's standing next to me and he, as serious can be, he just said, none of those people know that I just stuck my tongue out at them. (laughs) And I'm like, are you kidding me? And he looks at me and he goes, you don't know that I just stuck my tongue out at you. It was in Walmart, he said. He remembers. Walmart causes you to do things that are sometimes not your natural. (laughs) It just brings it out in you, you know. (laughs) But I thought, isn't that like what wearing a face mask is? Where we feel like we can get away with being one way, but nobody would ever know it by walking next to us. Let's get rid of that. That's what Peter says. Let's get rid of that. Let's abandon it. The word abandon there 
And, and the Aramaic can actually be translated as like oasis rest. So it's not just like this fierce word of like throwing it away and getting rid of everything. It's moving into such a place of rest in your spirit that there's nothing guile there. There's nothing evil. There's, there's no, uh, there's nothing in your heart that resembles the world or the enemy. It's moving to a place of rest in the season of life. Let this be the first thing that we do. And maybe every day clear your heart, clear your heart, make sure that in your suffering, you're not shifting your eyes from heaven to those around you. Because when we begin to look at those around us and compare ourselves, there's nothing good that starts happening in your heart. It's those kinds of things that begin to open a door for bitterness, for hypocrisy, for analyzing and pulling things apart in the people around us for judgmental analysis. It's in those times when we begin to let our mouth loose and slander other people because we feel like they've got a better deal than us. It's in those moments where jealousy can begin to rise because we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. So in this season of life, let this be the first thing that we do. Clear our hearts. All right, we're going to keep reading. Verse 4. Well, actually, let's not forget all this amazing stuff right there in verse 2. Because really, the next part starts in verse 2. In the same way that nursing infants cry for milk, you must intensely crave the pure spiritual milk of God's word. For this milk will cause you to grow into maturity, fully nourished, And strong for life, especially now that you have had a taste of the goodness of the Lord Jehovah and have experienced his kindness. So keep coming to him who is the living stone, though he was rejected and discarded by men, but chosen by God and priceless in God's sight. Come and be his living stones who are continually assembled into a sanctuary for God. And so this next part is to get into the word of God. Because when we see malnourished Christians around us, they have a hard time withstanding suffering. It says that the word of God will be like milk that fully nourishes you and brings you to maturity. But sometimes what we do is we, we come to Jesus for salvation. We acknowledge him. We, we pray to him sometimes in the middle of trauma, but we never come to this word. We never spend time in this word that says it's nourishment for our soul. So you will be fully nourished. If we are not in the word of God, We will suffer malnutrition in our spirit. And when suffering hits, when persecution hits, when trauma hits, it's really hard. It's really hard to push through when you're malnourished. 
we got to have this. And I just love, so keep coming to him. You've tasted the goodness of the Lord. Crave the word of God and then keep coming to him. Our experience with God is supposed to be continually ongoing every day, moment by moment. It is not a one time I meet Jesus. I give him my life and I'm good to go for the rest of eternity. That's not what the Christian life is about. It won't take you very long to figure that out. You can have salvation, but if we're not learning how to suffer and suffer well, what are we doing? We have to learn how to crave the word of God. Do you know how you learn to crave something? You eat a lot of it. Why do I want ice cream every night after I put my kids to bed? Number one, it's COVID and we've been spending a lot of time together. Number two, because I crave sugar because it's good. And I eat sugar. And you know, when I eat sugar, What do I want more of sugar last year? It was probably around this time. I, I got this crazy idea in my head that I should do, um, like a full sugar fast, which meant that you could have, I signed up thinking that's fine. I can give up desserts for a month, you know, sugar, no big deal. So I signed up for this thing. I wrangled somebody else in with me. So we sign up and we're like, we're going to do this. This is going to be awesome. I can give up sugar for a month. I start reading the rules. You guys, it was like anything that turns into sugar in your body. You can't eat. I couldn't have grain. I couldn't have dairy. I couldn't have fruit. I couldn't have nothing. That was, that was crazy. Especially like that first week. But then you get through that and I didn't crave it anymore. And having no sugar was no problem. I went to birthday parties and didn't eat cake and ice cream and I didn't die. To my surprise. I ate berries on a salad two weeks in and I was like, this is like candy. A blueberry never tasted so good in all my life. It it could have just been a starburst. I mean, it was like awesome. But see, when you take something out, you don't crave it. It's when you put it in that a craving begins inside of you. And so the word of God, when you begin putting it inside of you, have you ever noticed that when you, when you really get into like a rhythm of reading God's word and you're like, this is so good. This is so good. I want some more, you know, you just, you just want it because it's life. It says it's alive and active. It's the only book that is, and we should crave that because it leads us to maturity in the spirit, in our Christian life. If you want to be a mature Christian, you've got to be in this word. You could know Jesus for 57 years. And if you have not been in his word and don't know it, you can still be an immature Christian. The word of God is so crucial. And in times like this, that we're living, we've got to have this. We have to fill our heart with the word of God. It's just so, so, so important. So we have to learn to crave it. And then we have to keep coming. We have to keep coming back to the word. We have to keep coming to Jesus. So we clear out our heart and then we get into the word and then we keep getting into the word and we keep coming. We keep tasting of the goodness of God.
Let's see, where did we stop? Let's continue on. Are we in six? Yes. Let's read five so that six makes sense. Come and be his living stones who are continually being assembled into a sanctuary for God. For now you serve as holy priests, offering up spiritual sacrifices that he readily accepts through Jesus Christ. For it says in scripture, look, I lay a cornerstone in Zion, a chosen and priceless stone. And whoever believes in him will certainly not be disappointed. As believers, you know his great worth. Indeed, his preciousness is imparted to you. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected and discarded has now become the cornerstone and a stone that makes them stumble and a rock to trip over. These are, these are quoting scripture from the Old Testament. They keep stumbling over the message because they refuse to believe it. And this they were destined to do. But you are God's chosen treasure. Priests who are kings. A spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. For at one time you were not God's people, but now you are. At one time you knew nothing of God's mercy because you hadn't received it yet, but now you are drenched with it. You must remember who you are. Like you have to do it. You have to remember who you are. You have to be fully awake to your identity in Jesus. But I fear that the church, big C, capital C church, not, not this church, the body of Christ as a whole, has started become, to become just sedated by the enemy. I read a Lisa Bevere book recently, and she was talking about, it's, it's called Lioness Arising. So the whole thing is about lions. It was really fun. And she's telling this story about a documentary she watched and they were tracking lions and they had a collar on the main lion so that, cause they were making the documentary. So they were tracking him and learning all about lions lives or whatever. And it came to the point where he had been released out of captivity and he had begun to understand how to roam the wild. And he was like the King, right? So they knew that they had to get the collar off of him because it was starting to hinder his mane. And in a lion's world, if their mane is hindered, that hinders their supremacy, 
uh, as king. Uh, and so, so they knew that they would have to go get it off of him. So they had to come and they had to sedate the lion. So they shoot a tranquilizer dart. First one doesn't do much because we're talking about a big lion. Shoot the second one right and he drops. And they only have a few moments to get that collar off. And she's watching this documentary. And, and the announcer on the documentary says, there's nothing more dangerous than a lion fully awake. And as this lion laid there sedated, his eyes open, tracking these rangers the whole time. Because he was only incapacitated, not unconscious. And she said, like watching the documentary, your heart is pounding because you're like, is he going to wake up and bite your face off? You know, uh, she didn't say that. That's my interpretation. But, uh, you know, it's, it's like that idea of like, oh my gosh, this lion is not dead. This lion is not unconscious. This lion is making eye to contact with these people, but he's completely incapacitated. So they get the collar off and they are like out of there, like, you know, bye. Never look back. Uh, have a nice life lion. But there's, there's nothing more dangerous than a lion fully awake. And I think about, I'm not sure that there's anything more dangerous than a church that's fully awake. You know, have you, have you just gotten so absorbed and exhausted by your daily obligations that you have fallen asleep? Have you become so overwhelmed by the constant flow of conflicting and terrifying information that you are just paralyzed? It's time to rise up, to wake up. Now is the time for the church to be awake, to be aware, and to be active. And if this whole thing going on in our world isn't enough to awaken the church, I don't know what is. This is a call to believers to wake up, to be aware of the kingdom of God's movement right now, and to be active. This is not a time to lay down incapacitated, watching what the enemy is doing, helpless and not able to get up and fight. This is not that moment. We are not called to be an incapacitated church. We are called to be a powerful one. One who's carrying the power of the king of kings, the true lion of Judah, who is fully awake and on the move. When you're awake to what God is doing, then you'll also know what you're to do. Because when we're aware of God's movements, do you remember what Jesus said? I only do what I see my father doing. When I'm aware of what God is doing, when I'm awake to that, then I know what I'm supposed to do because I see what my father is doing. The king is on the move. Guys, I watched, I watched Narnia this week. talk about lions 
If you're not familiar with the story, you should be. It's, it's a really fun story. If you're not a fantasy person, it may not be your favorite thing but it is a cool parallel. So Aslan is like the Jesus figure and he is a lion. And so they are stuck in this, uh, this place where it's always winter and never Christmas. How much of a bummer is that? Uh, and so everything is frozen and they're just like in this perpetual winter that's being ruled by the white witch. And, the humans make it to this magical land of Narnia through a wardrobe. And it's like this whole adventure of a story. But I, I remember, so we were watching it and uh, the little beaver character comes up and says, Aslan's on the move. And I just think like it did something. There's two parts watching that this week that just got my heart. And I thought he is. See, see when we are, when we're exhausted and absorbed and falling asleep just because of our daily obligations and all the things going on in our lives, or when we are just paralyzed because of all of the crazy stuff that's happening around us, when we become incapacitated and we are not active any longer, we forget that God is on the move. See, God didn't just be like, good luck with that COVID stuff. I've never seen this before either. So I'm not even sure what we should be doing. That is not God's heart. He's on the move. And I believe he's priming people for revival. He's priming them for the gospel to come alive, but he needs a church who will partner with him to take it. The good news has to be released. How is it going to be released through us? You are the answer. You're the answer to the hurting world around us. It's us. Like we are God's plan a, and he doesn't have a plan B. It's his church called to be awake, to be active, to be aware and to be releasing the kingdom around us. He wants to awaken us. I had this picture two weeks ago in worship and I share this periodically, but I can't get away from it. And I watched Narnia this week. So, you know, it's coming. All right. So the white witch zaps all these people and turns them into stone. So she has this entire place in her palace of all these crazy creatures that are just like stone statues. And they're usually like, no, uh, because she was mean and evil. And so All of these people are turned to stone by the white witch's power. They're just completely like done. You know, they're just frozen essentially. And at the end of the movie, after Aslan dies and then comes back to life, right? He begins to restore this. And I cried when I saw this part the other night. Aslan comes into the icy castle, into the room of all the stone, and he walks up to this character that you know and love, who's now a stone statue, and he gets real close to his face and goes, (sighs) and the CG is just amazing in this, right? Because the stone, the fur on the animal, the stone begins to like wiggle in the wind. And then all the stone melts away and it's like ice and it just all comes off. And the guy who is standing there like this goes, (gasps) and all of the statues come back to life and they race to the battle with Aslan to the final battle of the movie 
to save the day. But I had this picture of like, if, if you have found yourself in this season, so frozen by fear, by uncertainty, by just overwhelming responsibility and obligation or change or whatever it is, but you have found yourself just like frozen, like, I don't even know what I should be doing right now. I sense that Aslan is on the move and he's coming to his people and he wants to release his breath on you. And where you have been frozen or paralyzed or incapacitated, you're going to like go. (sighs) And join the battle again. Some of you just need that to be awakened. You need, you need that fresh breath in your lungs of just like, (gasps) Oh, what was I doing? Because you've been so frozen, so unaware, so inactive, so asleep that you need the encounter with an almighty God. He's the only one who can just breathe on you like that. Because when they took that breath, they just went straight to battle. It was like we're on mission. See, and that's what God wants to do for his church. He wants you to be unfrozen. Like he doesn't want you to live in fear. But he also is like, hey, we got some work to do. Hey, there's mission. Come on, come fight this with me. Now that you're awake and alive, come see what I'm doing. Come be on the move with me. Come follow me. God, I believe, wants to restore some things in us this morning. I I really believe that he wants to awaken you to the reality of who he's called you to be. And so if you'll just stand... And I believe as God restores us, that he will awaken us, that, that we will wake up, that we will take that breath, that we will snap out of that frozen state, that we will see ourselves for who we really are. Some of you in your frozen state and falling asleep, or maybe just ever in your life, have too small of a view on yourself. Many of us have settled into identities and names that are way, way beneath what God has in store for us. We have called ourselves by very, very small names. And heaven is looking at you and is confused because heaven knows what God says about you. Heaven knows what God declares about you, how he brags about you. And they look at you thinking, what? Because you've used names that are much too small for who you are. You've settled into identities that are beneath what heaven has for you. 
And I want to just take a second and just straight out of, well, mostly straight out of second Peter. And then I'm going to just, I'm just going to begin to declare some things over you of your identity that is true for every believer. And as I do that, I'm praying that the God of heaven would begin to release his breath on you, that you would begin to come awake, that you would, something in your heart would take that deep breath and be reminded of all that you are called to be. Because it's such an important part in the middle of our suffering. We have to clear our heart. We have to get into the word of God, but we also have to know who we are. Jesus, we invite you here for this last little bit to just come and begin to breathe on hearts. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin to release encounters. Begin to release your heart and your truth over everyone here. I declare over you, church, that you are God's chosen treasure, deeply loved. You are priests who are kings. You have a royal inheritance. You are set apart. You were made for miracles. You are called to be an influencer for the kingdom. You have been called out of darkness into glorious light. You are drenched in God's mercy and it's new for you every single day. You were made for the secret place. You were made for encounter with the God of heaven. You are enough. You are a mighty warrior. Once you were not God's people, but now you are. You are his. You are chosen. You are loved. And there is greatness inside of you. You can do hard things. You can make it through this season. And you can do it with success. You are an overcomer. You have been empowered to persevere. You have been empowered to overcome. You can remain faithful. You can experience the presence of God and his goodness in the land of the living. You are his kid. You're not a prisoner. So hearts come awake. Come awake.
Come out of your frozen and paralyzed state and awaken to what the Lord is doing. Oh God, would you release an awakening in our hearts? Would you release revival among us? Would you bring back to life the things that have been sedated by the enemy? Because it's the only way he can get us to stop. We are too powerful to be chained unless we're sedated. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your faithfulness, for the way your kingdom works. Thank you that you have equipped your people to suffer well, and we will do it. We will ugly cry when we need to, but we will experience waves of joy and absolute peace. We will not be shaken in our suffering. We will not be shaken in our grief. We will not be shaken in our loss. And so, Lord, would you awaken hearts and give them the ability to stand firm, fully awake, not just in paralysis. And thank you, God, for fresh joy. Fresh joy in the middle of hard seasons. We can be fully awake and marked with joy. Staying in peace and all the while suffering. It amazes me the way you've equipped us to work. It's so upside down from our worldly kingdom. But yours is so much better. Thank you, Jesus, for just sealing work that you've done in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I have two things. One, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, you've never really surrendered to him, you've never fully come awake even at all, we would love to give you the opportunity to do that. There'll be some leaders right up here. If you want to have a conversation and give your heart to Jesus, we would love to do that with you. Also, if you need prayer for healing, we didn't do that in our service. If there is any kind of pain or something wrong in your body and you would like us to pray for that, uh, we would love to pray for your healing as well. So uh, those two things are open.